It's Wednesday night, and we are in a study that's very unusual. It's about Melchizedek, and it's about the tithe, and about Shem. Shem was the second born of Isaac, second born of Noah, and I'm going to show you that. Shem was the, I believe that Shem held the office of Melchizedek. Now it's spelled with a D-E-C in the New Testament English. It's D-E-K in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Uh, Melchizedek is a construction of Malach, M-E-L-E-C-K, M-E-L-E-K, excuse me, and Sadiq, T-S-A-D-I-Q. The Sade, Sade, it's pronounced this way, is the 18th letter of the Hebrew. 18th letter of the Hebrew. And you say, how can you find that out? Well, you go into your, anytime you want to find out, letters, you go into your concordance, you look in the front of the of the uh, dictionary, a Hebrew dictionary or the Greek dictionary. Look in front of each one of them and you can see the letters and it'll give you the number of them. Sade means righteousness. Righteous. And Melchizedek, this word melech, you can look in the theological word book of the Old Testament. It is a form of Moloch. Now, Moloch means the Lord, but God would not allow his people to call him Moloch because that's what the Ammonites call their God. The people of Ammon, which we call northern, it would be the same thing as northern Jordan. Uh, they call their god Moloch or Molech or Malcolm or Malcolm. They were all forms of the same word, and they meant the Lord. So this means, it means the Lord of righteousness or the king of right. King of right. Now, I'm going to show you something that I've been working on for years, and I never finish working on any given subject. When you want to study the history of the Jews, there's two chapters in Genesis you've got to look at. This is their bloodlines. You look at Genesis, the fifth chapter, and Genesis, the 11th chapter. This starts with Adam. And it goes down to Noah in that, well, actually, excuse me. It goes to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, just because it's listed that way does not mean that Shem is the oldest, because he wasn't. He was the second born. Now, we started off in the Old Testament with... Cain and Abel in that fourth chapter. And Cain, Cain offered the sacrifices, the works of his hands. Cain works. He offered 
vegetables and what he had grown in his garden. Work of hands. And Abel offered, he is second born. Second born. Just as in Abel, the second birth receives the blessing. Cain was the firstborn. The first birth always offers the works of hands. The second birth, which is born again, offers a blood sacrifice. And that's what Abel offered, blood sacrifice. Now, where in the world did he get the idea to do that? Huh? You think his father taught him? I guess he did. Sacrifice. The first, one thing you have to learn, no one anywhere in the Bible can offer sacrifice unless they are a priest of God. What was the first sacrifice in the Bible? It's in Genesis, the third chapter. Look over there. Look at Genesis, the third chapter. All right. Genesis 3. And Genesis, the third chapter. Adam and Eve are told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they do. And then they find out that they are naked. That's when they can see. Let's read a little bit right here. Verse 8. They eat in the vert and they eat in they see the tree in verse five and six. They see three things in the tree. It was good for food, pleasant the eyes that make her wise. And then verse seven says the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together with the works of their hands and tries to cover up their nakedness. And made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Because they are naked. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you, Adam? Do you think God didn't know where he was? No, he wanted a confession from Adam. It wasn't that he couldn't find him. Oh, gosh, you're hiding from me. I don't know where you are. I'm only God. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Now, preachers will say he was passing the buck. He was not passing the buck. If the living God says, who told you you were naked? You're going to tell him the truth. Hast thou eaten of the tree wherein I commanded thee thou shouldest not? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. She's the one that told me I was naked. I don't believe he passed the buck to Eve. I believe he told God exactly what God wanted to know. And this is Jesus pre-incarnate. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now, God, Adam and Eve closed themselves with the works of their hands. If you go on down here in verse 21, and unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. 
Here's the first baptism. Here's the first sacrifice. This is God. And who is it? It's Jesus pre-incarnate. Jesus is a high priest, high priest forever. If he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, where did his priesthood begin? Right here. He, you cannot... <coughs> I believe Jesus started the Melchizedek priesthood right here. Because this is the first sacrifice that's offered. It never occurs to many people when he made skins, he has to kill an animal to do it. You know what I believe he killed? I believe he killed a lamb to clothe them. It's a picture of Christ. Now, I want us to look here at the... What did he mean by saying... um the Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. Well, that's Satan saying that. <coughs> well, no, what, what verse are you in? 22. 22. <laughs> one of us would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, the know, they know good and evil. All right. Now, we're, we're talking about <coughs> the lineage of God. When you go over here to the fifth chapter, here's God's lineage. In the fourth chapter, you got the lineage of Cain. Cain does not go back to God. Just He starts having kids after he kills his brother Abel, the firstborn. There's a wrestling match going on between the firstborn and the secondborn. It's the same thing as the outer man outer man and the inner man. There's this wrestling match going on between us, the inner man, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the outer man, which is self that serves the law of the flesh. And this inner man is our second birth, just like Abel was second born. But you got to remember, the Bible says in that 20, in the fourth chapter of Genesis verse 25 after Cain kills Abel and Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son called his name Seth now Seth means substitute he is a substitute for Abel that's what he is he is going to take Abel's place it was the custom among the Jews that a surviving son would take on his brother's wife, marry her, and her firstborn son would be the son of the one that was di- that had died. So when you get to the fifth chapter, let's read that verse in verse 25. Adam knew his wife. Knew, yada means to know intimately or sexually. Yada. Means to know intimately. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed in the place of Abel, whom Cain slew. So when you get into God's recording here of the lineage of chapter 5, 
This is Abel's lineage. What it is. You remember Jesus in the 22nd chapter, the Pharisees come to him, say if a man die and uh, his uh, brother take his wife and and uh, he die and his brother take his wife up to seven seven wives whose wife shall she be in the resurrection jesus said you do err not knowing the scriptures for in the resurrection there'll be as the angels which neither man are given in marriage now so when you get into chapter five you get into you get into seth's lineage look here this is the book of the generation of adam In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now it it leaves out Abel, but Seth is taking Abel's place. So this is actually Abel's lineage here. He's going to go all the way down to Noah. And Seth has a son. His name is Enosh there in verse 6. Enos has a son. His name is Canaan in verse 9. And Canaan has a son, and his name is Mahalalel in verse 12. Mahalalel has a son. His name is Jared in verse 15. And Jared has a son in verse 18, and his name is Enoch. And Enoch has a son, in verse 21, his name is Methuselah. And Methuselah has a son, his name is Lamech, in verse 25. Lamech has a son, in verse 29, his name is Noah. And Noah has a son, Noah has a son, he has actually has three sons, and Uh, In uh, verse 32, Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, it looks like Shem is the firstborn, but let me show you. Shem is the secondborn, just like Abel was secondborn. Now, look over here. You got the flood. The flood comes. The Lord tells Noah to build an ark in 6 and... 6 and 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch the ark within and without with pitch. That word pitch is a really interesting word. Pitch with pitch. Pitch was a red-stained caulking that they put on, they lined the boats with it. They sealed up the cracks. It was red color. Some said it came out of the ground. It was asphalt in its natural state. Some say that it was, it, that the pitch was, came out of a tree. The word, first word pitch is the word kafar. Kafar. And the second word pitch is kofar. Kafar means to cover. Kofar means to stain, as if to die. Has the exact same meaning as baptize. Baptizo with bapto. 
baptizo, you can actually look up baptize in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, and baptizo will say to cover, and it will say from, and it will give you the number for bapto, and it will say to stain and to die. Now, baptism is a blood. It, he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. A blood baptism was a death. What saved the people in the ark was not the water. And it looks like that when you're reading over there in First Peter. Go over there real quick. It looks like the water is the baptism. It's not. The pitch is the baptism. Look at it in First Peter. All right. It's a mistranslation. That's what it is. King James Bible is not always exactly right. And it's not right in this degree. It says here in verse 20, chapter 3, 1 Peter. Speaking of the Gentiles, which sometime were disobedient, verse 20. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, the, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved, it says by water. That's not what it says in the original text. It says dia, through, dia. What amazes me, how can the King James Bible mess up dia? The water was the judgment of God. It, it, the word is through the water. They were saved through the judgment of God by the pitch of the ark. Without the pitch, it is sunk. It amazes me that people don't even know this. If there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And a blood baptism was a death. It was a martyrdom. And when Jesus said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Are you able to die the death, he says to James and John. And they said, we will. And he said, both of you will die the martyr's death. That was the day before he went to the cross. He wasn't talking about, are you able to be dipped in water? One of them says, I'm allergic to water. I can't, Jesus. No, that's what, what this is talking about. Now let's go back over here. Let's go back over to Genesis. I want to show you that Shem was the second born of Noah. It's real simple. I've heard preachers say, Shem was God's firstborn. He was not. He was a picture of the second birth. All right. All right. Genesis 11. No, not Genesis 11. Let's go to Genesis 9. They're coming out of the ark, and Ham sees his father naked. He discovers his father's nakedness. Sometimes, certain times, that means to look upon the nakedness of the mother. And Ham laughs at his father's nakedness. So look here what the Bible says about this. In the ninth chapter, ninth chapter, and it tells us what happened here. All right. Well, I'll get it in a minute. You've got the flood. The flood comes in the seventh and eighth chapter. 
they come out of the ark in the ninth chapter. Noah is in the ark 270, excuse me, 370 days. How do you know that, Jim? It rains 40 days and 40 nights, but he's in the ark a long time. Look, before we go any further, look at that in the seventh chapter. Look at the seventh chapter. He's in an ark with a little three cubit by three cubit window in the top. No other opening in the ark. It was not like that picture that Sheldon gave me on the back there on the wall. It's not a boat like this. It's not... not not like that. It's not like that. It is a coffin. Looks like this. This is what the ark looked like. Like that right there. That's what it looked like. Just a box. Had three levels. And it stunk. Whew. Would you call that a trial? I'm going to talk about numbers tonight. There's, See, I don't believe just God ordained our eternal life as predestinated from God. I believe he ordained numbers and colors. Everywhere you find fire in the Bible, the color of fire is yellow. Always. The ark is red. Ark is red. Three hundred and seventy days with stinking urine, urine and defecation of the animals and of Noah and his family, and no pure air. Would you call that a fiery trial? Three hundred and seventy days. Red. That's the color of blood. Plus fire. Fire all through the Bible is always represented as yellow. Yellow. Now, when you cross red with yellow, what do you get? Huh? You get orange, don't you? Equals orange. We don't have any word that rhymes with orange in the English language. Did you know that? But orange is really a Latin word. It is the word A-R-U-W-M. It is the word gold. So when you go through a fiery trial, that would be the yellow, and you're covered with the blood of Christ, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. Now, Look here. We're going to look and see if Shem is actually... We don't think of it like that when we're going through it, do we? <laughs> no, no, we don't think of it that way. But that, they were it was stinking. Whew. They were killing animals. Whenever people say, oh, the animals went in two by two, wait a minute. That's the unclean animals. Unclean animals went in two by two because they didn't, they, they're not going to eat the unclean animals and God's going to see to it that they're taken care of out of the ark. 
But the clean animals went in by sevens. Seven is in the in the Hebrew. Seven is the word Sheba. Shabua, S-H-E-B-U-A-H, is the word oath. It is a form of the word Sheba, seven. And to be sevened, this word Shabua, to take an oath to God, that word Shabua means to seven one's self. And the Bible says in first. Peter 1 and 5, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. And it gives you seven things to add to your faith. And if these things be in you and abound, you will never fall. But you've got to read that. The first one, is, first one on the list is virtue. Maturity. Grow up. Then you have to have knowledge. It takes years to add that to you. To you and you have to have temperance and so forth. Now, what was I? Let's look here at, let's find out if Shem was the second born of Noah. Look here in chapter chapter 9, when they come out of the ark, they go into the flood. Oh, I've got to show you this. I've got to show you there are 370 days in the ark. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were the fountains of the great deep broken up. Now, the people didn't have time to knock on the door and say, let us in. The greatest rivers in the world are underground. And what happened? The Bible says... Well, the great fountains of the great deep that crushed the earth. Noah went on a 5,000 foot tidal wave up in the sky. Nobody's knocking on the door saying, let us in. It was boom like that. And he was gone like Superman. Now, now that what day was that? That was the that was the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, in the seventh day of the month. Look where they land. First of all, look over here in, in verse 24. The waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. Now, how long is that? That's actually five months with 30 days to a month on a Jewish calendar. Now, look down here in, in verse 3 of chapter 8. And the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters began to abate. And the ark rested on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. That's a, Ararat is a chain of mountains in eastern Turkey, over here. So there's mountains there. That's where they landed, the mountains of Ararat. And look here in verse 13. And it came to pass in the 600th and first year in the first month. Now, when did they take off into the air? In the, in the 600th year of Noah's life, second month, 15th day of the month. And they landed, or they come out of the ark, verse 13 of chapter 8. It came to pass in the 600th and first year 
In the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. It was 370 days. They were in the ark. Whoo, man. Don't think I'd like that. Now, let's look and see if Shem is the second born of Noah. After the flood of chapter 8, 7 and 8, they come out of the ark in chapter 9. God puts the bow in the cloud. By the way, the word bow is the word kasheth, Q-E-S-H-E-T-H. It means a war bow. Don't have time to go on through that. The, the iris of the eye is a wheel and a wheel. I've got a picture of a rainbow from the top of a mountain. It is wheels and wheels with seven colors in the rainbow. And the inner part of the... It's the same thing as the iris of the eye. The word rainbow in the Greek in that 10th chapter of Revelation, the word rainbow is the word iris, and iris was the goddess of the rainbow in the ancient world. And a rainbow is actually circular when you look at it from high up, from a mountain or from a plain. I've got pictures of that. You can go online, look up rainbows, and it'll show you it's actually a circle. Now, let's look here and see if Shem is... Is he, they come out of the ark, you'll find the the Keseth in that verse 14. It's the same thing as the iris of the eye. I don't have time to go into the eyes of the Lord right now. But go over here to, they come out of the ark. Noah's drunk. Does that mean it's okay for you to get drunk? No. These guys, Mary's reading her Bible, she'll come to me and say, why is this guy doing this? I say, they were sinners like us. Noah was a sinner, just like us. And look at verse 20, chapter 9. Noah began to be a husband when he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunk. And he was uncovered within his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren outside. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done. That makes Ham the youngest, doesn't it? He's younger, right? That's what he is. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, the son of... Canaan is going to settle in the land of Canaan. And Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren... And he said, Bless be the Lord God of Shem. Don't say that about nobody else. I believe Shem held the office of Melchizedek. I'll show you why in a minute. Melchizedek is an office, just like any president or like any priest. It's an order. 
Jesus was a priest forever after the order order of Melchizedek. In the New Testament, the word order is the word T-A-X-I-S. It means to arrange in an orderly fashion, orderly fashion, It is a form of the word tax tasso. In when you have morphemes, word shapes. This word tasso in the Greek is the word in Acts thirteen forty eight. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They were ordered in an orderly fashion to believe. This word taxis is a military term. It means to march in rank. I know what that's about. I went to military school. Say to forward march, and you start off on the left foot. One, two, three, four. Hut. It means to march in rank, and that's a taxis was an order. I've got the. There's a Old Testament word, Dibra, D-I-B-R-A. Let me write this down. And when the Bible says in the Old Testament he was a priest forever after the order, D-I-B-R-A, it is a form of the word D-A-B-A-R. Whenever the Lord would say, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and I will do it. Dabar means an orderly arrangement or a commandment. Commandment. That is Debra, a form of Debar, huh? You put an H on the end of it. Well, well, Debra, well, that's what it is, with an H on it. It's a form of Dabar. The Lord said in Jeremiah, I believe it's the fourth chapter, I have spoken it, I have Dabar it, and I will do it. It's an arrangement by God's mouth. Now, so we see that that Shem is the second. He's got a little brother, Ham, right? Let's look and see if Japheth is the eldest. Look in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is called the Table of Nations. Chapter 10. Table of Nations. I think I've got a Table of Nations here on the board up here. I believe. Well, it's not working. Well, Table of Nations tells you where they, where these three sons went to. Shem went down in, this is very important to understand. Shem, the second born, went down here into the Mesopotamian Valley. Mesopotamia means between the rivers. Shem goes down here between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. The Tigris River 
On the Tigris was Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. On the Euphrates was Babylon, the capital city of Babylon that everyone loves so well. That was on the Euphrates River. Now, Shem goes down here. Now, this is very important to understand. Shem goes, Shem is the ancestor of Abraham. So he goes down here on the Euphrates River. Euphrates runs right through what we call southern Iraq. Tigris runs right through, right in the middle of Iraq. And they meet here just before you get to the Persian Gulf, about 100 miles above the Persian Gulf. So, Shem goes down in this area. He's going to have a descendant in the 11th chapter named Abram, or later on his name is changed to Abraham. So, Abraham is down here in what we call Iraq, or down in Babylonia, Babylon. Remember in that 12th, in the 11th, end of the 11th chapter, in the 12th chapter, God has to call Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, in that 11th chapter of Genesis, Ur of the Chaldees. Chaldees was another name for Babylon. So he calls Abraham out of Iraq. Now he tells him to go where I tell you to go. Abraham, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, goes where God tells him to go. He doesn't even know where he's going. How's that for faith? He said, follow me, my direction. Abraham takes off following God. And they couldn't go down into this area here. All this is the Arabian Desert. There's hundreds of millions of square miles of desert down there. Millions of square miles. So they have to always, when the Bible says someone attacked Israel, they always have to come from the north. All this is desert. So anytime they're attacked by Babylon, Persia, Greece, or Rome, they're attacked from the north. So Abraham, in in that 11th, 12th chapter, he gets up, goes where God tells him to go, comes down here to what we call Israel and says, I'm giving you this land permanently. It's yours. That's why anybody else who claims it can't have it because God says that in the 17th chapter of Genesis and in the 28th chapter of Genesis. In the 17th chapter, he said, it belongs to you and you're going to have a son named Isaac and it'll belong to him too. And he's not even born yet. And then he says, In the 28th chapter, Jacob is running away because he had stolen his brother's birthright and he lied to his father, and he's headed back over here to Babylon. He goes over there and finds him two wives, finds Leah and Rachel, and then after 20 years, he goes back over here. Long story. Don't have time to go into that. Now, look here in chapter 10 and verse 21. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. Japheth is the oldest son of Noah. If you'll notice, when you count the number of people, you start in Genesis 5, 
The tenth from Adam is Noah. And the eleventh from Adam is Shem. And Shem is second born. We've been, we've been talking about that. Eleven and two go together constantly. Now, if you, if you go over here to the eleventh chapter of Genesis, go to chapter eleven, and they're out of the ark, and God starts in naming. I'm going to show you why I believe that Shem held the office of Melchizedek. Huh? You said, you started saying that uh, Shem went to, between the two rivers. Where the other two? Oh, okay. Shem went down here. Japheth went up here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Japheth's bloodline was Caucasians, Assyrians, Scythians. The most barbaric people that ever lived on the face of the earth were white people. I don't believe they were called white because we are white. I'm more pink than anything. That's not white. I believe they were called white because they worship the Lord Moon up here. You will find all these people worshiping the crescent moon. And the one of the words for moon is Lebanon. Get the word Lebanon from that. Lebanon is right above Israel. That's the old system of Tyre and Sidon. And Lebanon means white. Now, I personally have a belief that the Caucasians, they're not white. You're not white, are you? None of us are, none of us white people are white. We're moon people. That amazes me because these were the people that God's people fought with and they were polluted by their moon and tree. The moon was represented on the earth by the tree. The sun was represented by the fire. We're back to Christ's mass, aren't we? Back to the same system. So, they were moon worshippers. When the Bible says, in the 6th chapter of Ephesians, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What ruled the darkness? In the first chapter of Genesis. We're wrestling with moon worshippers. Same thing as Christ's mass. That's what we're wrestling with. Wrestling with moon worshippers. It says against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Paul's words. But the high places were the hills outside the cities where they kept their tree goddesses. He said, what we're wrestling with is moon and tree worship. Or Babylonian system, Christ mass. That's what we're wrestling with. And it's going on everywhere now. Where did Ham go? Uh, Ham. Ham and his descendants went down into Egypt, to the land of Put, 
which is down here, Ethiopia. This is where his system went to. The Japheth, you've got the Caucasus Mountains between the Black Sea and the and the Caspian Sea, Black Sea and Caspian Sea. There's a string of mountain there called the Caucasus Mountains. We get the word Gog from the word Caucasus. Gog, the land of Gog and Magog. Gog, you'll find Gog and Magog in this 10th chapter. This is the sons of Japheth. Gog is the hardening of Ka. It's the hardening of the consonant Gog, Ka, Caucasus. So, the these were scientists of butchery the white people were the Assyrians are the ones that invented scalping all of these things that the uh, uh, American Indian does when the conquistadors brought that to San Salvador uh, with Columbus this Italian pirate as their head they came in and slaughtered the American Indians and carried them off in captivity to to Europe and they the Caucasians are the ones that created all of this torture that the American Indian ended up with the scalping burying a man up to his neck in the desert and putting a piece of rawhide over his throat and strapping him down and have the rawhide wet when it's when it dries it strangles him very slowly that's Caucasians. It's funny that they've thought they were better than other people. It's crazy. They're not. The history of the Caucasians is the Scythians lived, they were prior to the Assyrians. Remember the Assyrian Empire, the ones that came in and slaughtered northern Israel and carried them away into captivity, just literally and nearly annihilated them. There in 722 BC, you can find that over in the 17th chapter of 2 Kings. Now, all right. Now we see that that uh, I want to show you some of the things that that has to do with the second born and the first born all through the Bible. If you start off, if you start off in the fifth in the fifth chapter of Genesis. You start off in the fifth chapter and you go down to I'm kind of I believe everything has been arranged including numbers and colors all through the Bible. I don't believe just our lives are arranged. I believe numbers are arranged. If you start in Genesis the fifth chapter Genesis 5 and you go down 11, 11 generations, get to Shem, and he was second born, and he was the 11th from Adam, and 11 and 2 go together. I've been talking about this a lot lately. 11 and 2. Now, you get to the 11th chapter, Genesis 11, and you start with our Arphaxid. Arphaxid. And you go to the 11th from Arphaxid. And you get to Jacob. 
11th from our faction is Jacob. And he was second born. Then, you start with Jacob. Now, Jacob's got some sons. And you count to the 11th son of Jacob, and you get to Joseph. Joseph. Now, Joseph had Jacob's favor. He loved Joseph more than anybody. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. And the Bible will tell you in Genesis 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than anyone. Jacob's name is changed to Israel in the 32nd chapter of Genesis. Jacob received the blessing. The Bible says when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that called it, was sent unto Rebekah in that 25th chapter of Genesis. The elder Esau will serve the younger Jacob. They came out of the womb and Jacob had his hand upon Esau's heel. Jacob, Jacob is the word. Jacob means heel catcher, one who trips up. And Jacob was a scoundrel, heel catcher. And he's always tripping somebody up. He lied to his father, tripping him up. He lied to his brother Esau and stole his birthright. But God loved him anyway. He gave his laws to Jacob. He gave none of them. And the Bible, when the Bible says, Jacob, have I loved, loved, second born, just like Joseph's second born son received the blessing of God, the blessing of God in that Genesis, the 48th chapter. When Joseph is over here in Egypt, and he's worked his way up by interpreting the dreams of the Pharaoh to second in charge in Egypt, his brothers come over. There's a great dearth in the land. There's a famine. They come over to get, they come over to get seed from him, seed. So they come over here, and when they get over here, Joseph is the 11th son. 11th son. Joseph certainly was the favored of Jacob. He loved Joseph more than all of his sons put together. I like him too. Yeah, he's a good guy, isn't he? And Jacob comes over to Egypt. There's 70 people come over to Egypt. 70 after the after his sons come over and they get seed. When they're there, Joseph, the 11th son, says, I want to keep one of keep one 
of your brothers. He's trying to check them out to see if they're still underhanded. They sold him into Egypt because of their jealousy. He's trying to check them out. So he starts accusing them of being spies. He said, we're not spies. We're ten sons. He said, and Joseph is speaking through an interpreter. He says, you have any more brothers? He knew his little brother, Benjamin, was over there, and he, his father refused to send him over with his brothers. Benjamin was the only thing left of his beloved Rachel. I can't send Benjamin over there. He's the youngest. He's the 12th son. So Jacob says, what I'm going to do is keep one of your brothers. Look over here in Genesis Genesis 41. Look at Genesis 41. Jacob's accusing them of being tricky and being spies. He doesn't know whether they've repented of their selling him into bondage or not. He wants to make sure that they are repentant. So over in the 41st chapter of Genesis... They're in Egypt. The brothers are, our brothers are procuring grain because there's a great famine in the land of Israel. And Jacob has, excuse me, Joseph has set up a system in Egypt because he saw that there was going to be, by the Pharaoh's dream, seven good years and seven bad years. So he set up a system of storing grain in Egypt. So they got plenty in Egypt, but they have none back home in Israel. And Joseph doesn't know whether his brothers are repentant or not. So he says to them in Genesis 41, I want one of you to stay with me until you bring your brother back. And he says here in 41 and verse 50, Two. No, wait a minute. The wrong place. Uh, Simeon. Genesis 42, 24. Excuse me. 42, 24. And Jacob and Joseph turned himself from them and wept and returned them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. He said, I want to keep him. He's number two in the sons of Jacob. Eleventh Joseph keeps the secondborn Simeon until they bring his brother Benjamin over, and then, the, then it will be complete. 11 and 2. And you can find out about Simeon being the second born when you turn to the 29th chapter of Genesis and Leah starts having babies and she has Reuben, her firstborn, and Simeon, her second born. So 11 and 2. Let me give you some more 11s and 2s. If you go back to Jacob, if you go back to Jacob, and go to the 11th from Jacob, 
you get to David, the second king in Israel. You say, Jim, that sounds crazy. Well, I know it sounds crazy to you if you don't believe in numbers. I believe numbers and colors and everything in the Bible has been preordained by God according to his purpose. He works all things after the counts of his own will, including numbers and colors. I did a series on the eyes of the Lord and went to colors. and That'll make your brain fry. See, I don't believe God is some simple-minded person. I've said seven is the number of... When you go back to... The Bible says Israel in Zechariah the second chapter Israel is the apple of my eye. Apple is the word baba. It is the word pupil. It's the opening in the middle of the eye of God. The light goes into the pupil. It is, if you look at it from the side, it looks like this. Here's the lens. I'm all familiar with that. I had had uh, operation, had my lens replaced. And the inside, the light goes in here. The light goes into the pupil of the eye. Pupil. Around the eye... Here's the optic nerve back here. Around the eye is a layer of the retina. R eight. Where did you get this? Out of a book called Gray's Anatomy long before they made the TV show. Gray's Anatomy is a book that all first year medical students have. I may have one up here. Yeah, here it is. You can get it out of here. Here's Gray's Anatomy. I got it out of this book right here. And it'll show you the eye. The Bible says the seven candlesticks there in Zechariah the fourth chapter are the eyes of the Lord. Well, when the light goes, if we're the, if Jesus is the light of the world and the light enters the eye, it goes to what's called the yellow spot back here. Yellow spot. Or the proper name is fovea centralis. And immediately when this light hits this fovea, it starts refining colors. You do not see shapes when you see colors. You see refraction of colors. You see a purification of colors when you see this frame around this right here. It's a refraction of colors. That's what you see. And this, this lining of the eye called the retina has a lining on the outside of it. And it's got... About 200,000 hexagonal hexagon is six sides. Hexagon. 
six-sided hexagon. Well, let me draw that better. Six-sided. Did you know that the six-sided hexagon is the most stable structure in nature? The most stable. Every snowflake is shaped like the Star of David, like so. Every, whenever you get honey from a beehive, every one of those cells are hexagonal shaped. Every snowflake is hexagonal shaped. You can look up snow and McClinic and Strong, and every snowflake is either a Star David or it is a triangle, which is half the Star of David. And by the way, the triangle is the first letter. It's a D. It's the first letter of the first name in the New Testament, David. David is the first name and the last name in the New Testament. What, for no reason at all? No. So, when the light goes in here, this lining, this lining is called Jacob's membrane. And it begins to refine the colors. And that's why you see shape, because these hexagonal shaped prisms, they're prisms. And when you run a when you run a colors through a prism, it breaks off into seven colors. And so many colors in the rainbow. Breaks into seven colors, and that's how you see shapes. So whoever touches Israel, God says, you've punched me in the eye. And what happens? This, the ice of the eye is a wheel inside of a wheel. Now, you're going to see the wheels and the wheels in Ezekiel, the first chapter. And I don't have time to go into that. But when you punch somebody in the eye, the eye bends back. And Jesus said, I'm coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. Jesus is coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God, that obey not the gospel. When he's punched in the eye, the bow bends back, and we call that the iris of the eye. And the rainbow is, the name of the rainbow is iris. And God says, I won't destroy you with that anymore. It's a bow. Kaseth is a war bow. Now, where was I? All right. So I want to give you a couple more things on 11 and 2. You go from Jacob down to the 11th. You go to his 11th son. You got 11 and 2. 11 and 2. You're going to have these numbers are divinely inspired by God. I believe everything is planned. 
You're going to see 4 and 7. I need to finish up these 11 and 2. Look over here in... uh, Look at Matthew 10. I I was telling Ben and and Holly the other night, but I want to show you something I didn't finish up. Do I believe this is planned exactly now look here well before I go there let me go to uh, let me go to Exodus 28 first Exodus 28 and then I'll go back then I'll go over here to the gospels Exodus 28 Now, Exodus, starting in verse 20, chapter 25, God is giving, he's, Moses is upon the mountain, God's giving instructions how to construct the, the uh, furniture of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, which is that picture over there, that has the exact dimensions of the temple when Solomon builds the temple of God in 1 Kings. It's the same dimensions as the temple. Now, look here in in Exodus 28. You said 25. What did I say? 25. Well, I said 25 is where he starts giving the instructions to build this. In 28, look at verse 9. Thou shalt take two onyx stones... Now, two onyx stones. Two onyx stones. It's not as boring as it looks. Thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and the other six names on the rest of the other stone according to their birth and with the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet shalt thou engrave two stones with the names of the children of Israel and shall make them to be set in ouches of gold and thou shalt put the two stones of onyx upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of a memorial unto the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Now go down here and look at the... So we're going to have two onyx stones, one on each shoulder of the high priest. Look down here in verse 17. Here is... Well, let me read 15 through 17. Thou shalt make the breastplate of the priest of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod thou shalt make it of gold blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen shalt thou make it four square it shall be being doubled a span shall be the length thereof and a span shall be the breadth thereof and thou shalt set in it settings of stones even four rows the first row shall be Number one, sardius. Number two, topaz. Number three, carbuncle. Number four in the second row, emerald. 
number five, sapphire, number six, diamond, number seven, ligure, number eight, agate, number nine, amethyst, number ten, beryl, number eleven, onyx, eleven and two on the shoulders. Do you think that's for no reason? Eleven and two is all through the Bible. Now, look over here in Jesus is naming the apostles. Matthew 10. This, I've had people say, well, what do you need to see these numbers for? This shows you the sovereignty of God about your life and mine, that everything has been numbered exactly the way it's supposed to be. <coughs> How much time do I have, Mike? 25. How much? 25. All right, maybe we can get through this. Matthew chapter 10. Then I'm going to come back to Shem and show you why I believe he is. He actually lived longer. If you start with Shem and go with his son Arphaxed and you go all the way down to the 11th you go to actually the ninth, and that's Abraham or Abram. Shem outlives Abraham down here, lives longer than Abraham. That's the main reason I believe he holds the office of Melchizedek. Now, look here in Matthew 10. Why bring all this kind of stuff out? Because this will show you just how sovereign God is. He's sovereign over numbers, colors, everything. Everything in your life is going the way he says it's supposed to go. Now, Jesus is naming the apostles. Watch how he names them. Chapter 10 of Matthew. Now the names of the apostles are these. The first is Simon, number one, who is called Peter. Andrew, huh? What verse are you in? It's verse 2. Simon, number one, who's called Peter. Andrew, number two, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, that's four. Philip, five. Bartholomew, six. Thomas, seven. Matthew, eight. James, nine. Lebius, whose surname is Thaddeus, ten. Simon the Canaanite, eleven. There's two Simons in here, and the eleventh one is Simon. Why would he name them that way? To show the exactness. Jesus is doing the naming. Look over here in And Judas Iscariot, who has also betrayed him. He's the twelfth named here. Now look over here in look over here in uh 
Mark 3. Jesus names them over here. Mark. Do I believe this is accidental? Not on your life. I believe God is showing us just in the numbering of his apostles how he's sovereign over everything, even the naming of them. Look at Mark 3, and he's naming his apostles here in Mark. 3 and verse 13. Oops, I've turned too far. All right. All right. And he goeth up into a mountain, verse 13, and called unto him whom he would, and they came, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, to have power to heal sicknesses, to cast out devils. And Simon, his, he surnamed Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, two, John, the brother of James, three, got Simon, James, John, Simon, James, John, who he surnamed Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, Andrew, four, Philip, five, Bartholomew, six, Matthew, seven, Thomas, eight, James, the son of Alphaeus, nine, Thaddeus, ten, Simon the Canaanite. The second Simon is number 11 here. Do I believe that Jesus did that on purpose? Absolutely. And Judas Iscariot, he always names Judas last. Now, let's go over here to Luke 6. Let's see how he names them in Luke 6. Luke 6. And verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mount to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his twelve apostles. Of them he chose twelve. He said, Have not I chosen you twelve in chapter six of John, and one of you is a devil? Judas had a job to do. That was ordained by God also. Number one, Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, number two. James and John, four. Philip, five. Bartholomew, six. Matthew, seven. Thomas, eight. James, the son of Alphaeus, nine. And... Simon called Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James, 11, and he's got another Judas, that's 12. So 11 and 2. And look over here in, go to Acts, the second chapter. Acts, the second chapter. Nothing is accident by God. If you begin to believe predestination, the sovereignty of God, when you get into numbers and colors, 
you find out God has the most intricate colors ordained, the most intricate numbers ordained. When you get into Gematria, that's the most astounding thing that there is. Gematria is where they, when they invented these alphabets, they named, they gave them numerical values, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Then they get up to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, all up to 100, 200, 300, and so forth. When you get to that, when they invented the alphabet, they gave them those values. When you get into Gematria and people will say, well, that's Kabbalah. That is not. That is the exactness of God's ordination. I believe he's ordained everything. Everything. When you get, well, we'll look at this and then I'll get into maybe some sevens and fours. Look over here in Acts. The second chapter. Judas has committed suicide. He hanged himself. That leaves 11 apostles left. 11. Is two going to fit in here somewhere? Absolutely is. The apostles come together. And the Bible says that the lot settles everything. Evidently, God is in the lot, and so they come together. Judas has hanged himself earlier in this chapter. It's an account of him hanging himself. Uh, he purchased a field of iniquity in verse 18, and he fell, he hung himself, and his bowels burst asunder in verse 18. So there's 11 apostles left. They get together, and they name two men to take. Judas is placed, and they cast lots. Here's what they named. Verse 23. They appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Number two was Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon number two, Matthias. The eleven will appoint number two to take the place of Judas, and he was numbered with the eleven. He was named second. Do I believe that's accident? No. I believe everything is ordained by God. Numbers, colors, everything. Now, I do some, I have some sevens and fours that go together. The people who study numbers, Mr. Bullinger, He's got a book on numbers. I've got a, other books on numbers. They will tell you that any number that's a multiple, any number that's a multiple of a ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form. Ten is a is a perfect number along with seven. Seven is the number of divine perfection. Ten is a number of secular perfection. 
any number of ten or hundred or thousand. When you look in Mark, the eighth chapter, Mark 8. I don't believe anything's by accident. Nothing. I don't believe it's circumstance. It's God's circumstance is what it is. Mark 8. Now the Lord feeds feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. That's in John 6. But in Mark 8, it's a different number. Let's read that. Mark 8. The days of the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for divers or various of them came from afar. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. They got seven loaves. Seven loaves. He said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples. He broke the bread. To be broken is what we have to do, have to be, in order to be the bread of God. To set before them, and they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them before them, so that they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000. Seven and four. You could actually cancel out the zeros. 4,000 is a form of four. Seven and four. Noah was in the ark seven days before it rained 40 days and nights. Seven and four. The air inside the womb of the woman to the Jew was called the fish because it was in a lake. How long was in the lake? Forty sevens. That was the time of the number of maturity. Forty sevens. Look at Leviticus the the 26th chapter Leviticus 26 I love numbers because numbers proves the sovereignty of God proves he's sovereign over everything everything in your life 
Look here, Leviticus. Do I have any time, Mike? Nine? Nine? All right. All right, Leviticus 26. The Lord sets up the sabbatical years in the 25th chapter. In the 26th chapter, God says, If you're not obedient to my words, in verse 14, If you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, if you will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but ye shall break my covenant, I will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. The charismatics say God ain't going to hurt anybody. I think that's hurting them, isn't it? Consumption, that's all kinds of breathing problems. The burning og means fever. I've heard Benny Hinn say, I'd challenge anybody to show where God will make anybody sick. How about Micah 6.13? Therefore will I make thee sick in spite of me, Israel, because of thy sins. It's crazy to say that. You get in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. He says, I'll send the famine. I'll send the pestilence. I'll send the sword. I'll send, I'll send consumption. I'll send burning. I'll send too much rain. I will get you, Israel. People say, God's not some cosmic police and walk into the halls of heaven. Yes, he is. <laughs> what, where do they come up with that? And he killed Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowel. <laughs> you know about that, don't you? Big time. <laughs> Dave, Dave can't forget that. <laughs> the burning og shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Then he starts in and tells you what's going to happen. Four times, he says. Four times. Four times. He says, I will punish you. Seven times. For your sin. Says that four times in this chapter right here. Look here, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies if you don't behave. Before their enemies, that means the sword's going to come against them. The sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast are the four judgments of God. Sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. The beast is Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and they will be carried away into captivity by the beast. Before that happens, God says, sword, famine, pestilence. He said, I'll do this seven times. These four judgments will come upon you. You think that's just... Gosh, just something that happened? No. It's the plan of God. Does Israel have to fall? They have to fall. Amazes me is Romans 11, 11. Did Israel merely fall just to fall? God forbid. They fell in the Old Testament so salvation would come to the Gentile church. 
They had to fall. When God would say, if you do this, I'm going to do that to you. But he hardens their heart just like he did Pharaoh, and they fell. And he says in verse 18, If you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I break the pride of your power. I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. He said the same thing. Heaven as iron means no rain. Earth being brass means hard as a rock. My grandfather had a farm out in West Texas, and when they'd have a drought out there, those tracks back in the late 40s would be so hard you couldn't wreck them if you kick them, stomp on them, jump up and down on them. We were baked. You couldn't grow anything out there. Then he says, And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase. How's that for famine? How's this world heating up that we preached about Sunday night heating up for famine? Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, I will hearken, I will not hearken unto you, and I will bring seven more plagues, pestilence. Pestilence. Seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will send wild beasts among you. He's not talking about lions and bears. He's talking about Babylon, the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, and the Grecian leopard. Which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be, be reformed by me for these things, but you walk contrary to me, then I will bring, I will walk contrary to you and will punish you seven times for your sin. He says that four times here. And I will bring a sword upon you. You got famine, verse 9, pestilence, verse 21, sword, verse 25. And he mixes in pestilence with all of this will avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence upon you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. And he says in verse 28, Then I will walk contrary to you, Israel. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to Israel. Talking to America. America's going to go down. You think we can keep going with all the heathenism in this nation? I will walk contrary to you, also in fury, even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. He says that four times. And he says down here in verse 33, I will scatter you among the heathen. That's the beast. That's Babylon coming in in 586 B.C. That is the beast. That is the Babylonian lion. That is Assyria coming in in 722 B.C. and carrying Israel away into captivity for 2,600 years until May 14, 1948. And this is the generation that will not pass away until all is fulfilled. 14. Isn't that amazing? He's got this written with numbers all through this. It says in verse 33, I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you, Israel. I just think of America through all of this. 
I don't know how America can stand. We are heathens. We got all the heathen holidays. America's about self. It's about a Babylonian attitude. I am and none else beside me. I'm the only one that matters. And I love this verse 34. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths. A sabbatical year every year, every seven years. They never kept for 490 years or 70 sets of these sabbatical years. And the land, they just drained itself of all the nutrients. America's draining itself. Am I out of time, Mike? Yes. I'm out. I'll come back and go back into some more numbers. You're going to see numbers everywhere. Does that important to see these things in numbers and in colors? I did about 15 messages on Gematria, on on the eyes of the Lord and went into the colors of the eye and the colors that it's just an astounding thing to see that God has arranged colors. <laughs> Mary say, are you going to talk about those colors again? Oh, man. It's, to me, it's amazing. The sovereignty of God is more than God just picking out his family. He, pick, he picks out all of the trials and the fire that you go through. He wants it that way so he can mold you into being like Christ. He's predestined us to conform to the image, the icon, the likeness of Jesus through fire and trials. You say, I'm not there yet. I know that. Most people don't get there till they get real old. And you surrender and throw your hands in the air. You're like that Japanese soldier that that lived in a cave on a South Sea Island until 1973. He was told never to surrender. You can go online and look him up. He didn't surrender to nobody till he saw some Japanese and some Americans out fishing in a boat together one day. And he went, I guess it's over. <laughs> God will make you give up. He has made me surrender all my desire for the things of this world. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. God, I pray that you'll let us understand your sovereignty. Scare us if you have to, Lord. Frighten us into bind to your will. Thank you for truth. I love the truth. I love you, Lord. I pray you'll fight our battles. I can't fight them, Lord. Let you fight them. Deal with our hearts. Teach us your word. Seven us, Lord. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. That's the end of that. Not the end. It's just the beginning of that. Where are you going, little girl? You want some gum? You want some gum? Come here. Oh, girls, look, you're heavy.
I love you. You want some gum? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me get you some. What you doing? Here you go. Here you go. There you go. <laughs> Eat that gum.